Welcome to you again, a very happy Mother's Day, trusting that it's going to be just a special day for you. And somebody sent me some thoughts about Mother's Day, and there was one that uh, really caught my attention by Bill Cosby. I haven't said anything funny. Well, he says, this is Bill Cosby, he says, My mother was an authority on pigsties. She used to be able to tell me that this is the worst looking pigsty I have ever seen in my life and I want you to clean it up right now. That's a mother. A, an authority on pigsties. There's a Jewish proverb that said, God could not be everywhere and therefore he made mothers. George Washington said the following, My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. What a job that, mothers. An unknown author wrote the following and said, The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Someone agrees there. And this one, by a person by the name of Elizabeth Stone, and she wrote and said, Making the decision to have a child is momentous. In that moment you decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. So mothers, may you have a, a wonderful Mother's Day. Lord, we pray now as we look into your word that you would come and encourage us and strengthen us, we pray. And we ask that you would just cause something to come alive in us today. Holy Spirit, would you move? Can we give you right of way today to move and to move in our hearts? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak today on prevailing with God, prevailing with God. If you're taking notes, I'm going to be giving a couple of points, so you might want to take them down, prevailing with God. The other day we were sitting together, some of my family and I, we were just sitting together and we were just discussing what we've been through and uh, uh, what we've experienced, some of our highlights and some of the lowlights, and we were discussing it and... Uh, I was reminded of my one brother, and I won't tell you which one it is, but he told me how he looks into the mirror and he says, my, what you haven't been through. <laughs> well, maybe you can stand in front of the mirror and say, gee, what have you been through? Well, the truth of the matter is that God wants us to prevail. And at the end of this time, we were chatting together, we prayed together, and John prayed that we would prevail that there would be a prevailing spirit within us. Now, we don't want to be arrogant or anything, but we want to prevail. And uh, I believe that God wants each one of us to prevail. And to me, it speaks about overcoming, walking in victory. That's what prevailing speaks about. It speaks about being strengthened and empowered and uh, caused to prevail. And there is a battle that we face, but we can be confident that we are not alone and that God wants us 
to have this prevailing spirit. Well, you may ask me, point one, what does prevailing mean? Well, it is an old-fashioned word. We don't use it often. We don't mention it. I, I was just wanting to know how many of you can remember when last you used the word prevail. Probably you can't. Because it's not a word we use anymore, but it is a word that we find in the Bible. And it's regularly used in the Bible. And if we go and look at the root word for the word prevail in the Bible, it comes up with uh, meanings as follows. To have strength. That's what prevailing means. To have strength. Another thing is to be strong. Or to be powerful. That's what prevailing means. To be mighty and great. Not great in terms of popularity, but great in terms of ability. And it speaks of winning or succeeding or dominating, prevailing. That's what this word speaks about. And it includes to make strong or strengthen, to confirm or give strength. It even speaks about covenant, and confirming the covenant. And it speaks about showing oneself mighty. That's what prevailing speaks about. The dictionary definition says that it is to become effective or effectual, to become effective. And I believe God wants each one of us to become effective. And it's so important. And lastly, this aspect of prevailing also includes fulfilling your destiny. It says in Acts 19 verse 20, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. What does it mean? It accomplished that which it was intended to accomplish. And part of the prevailing is that you would step into your destiny. I want to just share a little bit from my own life. There was a time in my life when I knew unprecedented prevailing. It was a, a unique time in my life, and uh, anything was possible. Anything could be accomplished. I used to go to bed at night. I could not fall asleep fast enough to get up the next day to go and achieve some more. My cousin, uh, her name is Heather, she said, oh, I'm so unhappy in my job. And I thought, what are you talking about? I would, couldn't wait so much to achieve. And so one day as a family, we went overseas and I saw how the American churches sort of were built around a theme. And I came back with this idea that we were going to plant palm trees around our church. And we were going to make an oasis. Because, you know, in a, in a, have you ever seen the pictures of an oasis with the palm trees and the water in the middle of the desert? Well, that, that was the general idea. So we went to the congregation and we said to the congregation, if you have palm trees, we will collect them. And before I knew it, I had about 60, 65 palm trees and my secretary was so busy trying to coordinate, you know, the whole palm tree relocation project. And uh, we were, I mean, we were really, you know, going for it. And it, nothing was a problem. And then a lady donated two enormous palm trees from 
the street behind the academic hospital. They were just, I think, from, from base to crown, they were about 11 meters or more. Enormous. And I went to her and I said, you are aware that by the time we finish, we will have destroyed your front fence and you will be left with two monumental craters in your garden. That will be your responsibility. And we'll take the palm tree. Oh, she was just so happy that we could get rid of these colossal trees. And I tell you, we got there, we dug them out, we got ready, and then the, a whole host of things started to happen. Firstly, we had to get a crane to lift these palm trees and get them out. And it was a colossal crane. Now, those streets there behind the academic hospital are about this wide. And the pavements are about this wide. And we brought this colossal crane in and we started lifting these palm trees up and we discovered there were overhead power lines. No problem. We call the city council and we have the overhead power lines disconnected and removed. And the neighbors <laughs> were thrilled. The next thing we sent for low-bed trucks, long low-bed trucks to pick up these enormous palm trees. And they came and blocked the whole street so that the neighbors called the police. It was no problem. And the, the, the police came to me and said, you'll have to close the street. And I said, great, let's close the street. So we closed the street, cut the electricity off. And the neighbors had to come and sit on their garden chairs and throw beer cans at me. And it was no problem. Absolutely no problem. When we finally got these colossal trees lifted and onto these low beds, and as we started to drag them away, the cops said, no, but you need a permit. So I said, no problem. They will get a permit. Got a permit. And then when we got the permit, they said, but you'll need an escort. These things are too big to take on the highway. So I said, no problem, we'll get a permit and, and, and an escort and we'll get everything. Eventually we brought them all the way back to the church, destroyed the garden and planted the palm trees. And it was no problem. Today sometimes my wife will say to me, don't you want to go let's take the kids to McDonald's tonight? And I'll go, but that means I have to close the windows, get a jacket, lock the house, arm the house, get in the car, drive, stand in a queue, eat cardboard, and come home. <laughs> it's too much. I can't face it. Can we have toast? <laughs> can you start to see the illustration? Maybe you can remember a time when you prevailed. Man, nothing was impossible. Nothing was impossible in your marriage. Nothing was impossible in your business. Nothing was impossible. But now... Oh.
but I believe God has called us to prevail. He wants you to prevail. And the Bible is full of stories about men and women who prevailed, who overcame. David and Goliath is just such a beautiful picture. A whole army couldn't face Goliath, but David comes along with a sling and he's able to prevail. Don't turn there, it says in 1 Samuel 17 verse 50, it says, So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and with a stone and struck down the Philistine and slew him. That's prevailing. And it starts as a different spirit within us. But I believe if we're going to prevail, some preparation has to take place. There's a preparation that needs to take place within us. And if we are going to return to a place of prevailing, we need to be prepared. And before I I read the scripture, let me just say two interesting points. One, realize that prevailing is often preceded by a wilderness experience. Prevailing is often preceded by a wilderness experience. Let me give you an example. The nation of Israel only conquered and went into the promised land after 40 years of wandering around in the desert. Moses was only called by God to bring the Egyptians out of captivity after tending sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. David only rose to the throne in Pharaoh's palace after years of slavery and jail time. Joseph, sorry, Joseph. These people went through a wilderness experience before they prevailed. And I want to encourage you and say, let that give you hope today. If you are going through a wilderness experience, you can expect that somewhere up in the future is a time of prevailing for you. And while you're going through that wilderness experience, don't be tempted to do the wrong thing. Keep on doing what is right. That's the first thing. Realize that prevailing is often preceded by a wilderness experience. Talking about preparation for prevailing. Secondly, God's idea of preparation for prevailing is completely different to what the world may suggest. And God is busy in each of our lives in a preparation phase for prevailing, returning to prevailing, or greater prevailing. And He is at work within us. And, you know, in the world we know what we need to do. If we are going to be involved in some sporting activity then we know we need to train and get fit and develop our strength. If we're going to be involved in a military sense, we need to be equipped and battle ready. And we must have the necessary arms and equipment. If we're going into business, we must have a business plan and a marketing plan and a strategic plan. And we must have all this in place. But when it comes to the preparation that God does within us for our prevailing, it's not what we expect. I don't think Joseph thought that slavery was part of his preparation. I don't think Moses felt that looking after his father-in-law's herds was uh, preparation, but God did. 
And that's the interesting thing. We're going to read now from Joshua. If you want to take up your Bible, please, Joshua chapter 5. We're going to read the first 15 verses and then just give you five points that I believe are part of God's preparation process for us as He moves us to a place of prevailing or greater prevailing or more prevailing. Joshua chapter 5. Let me just put it in the context The nation of Israel has been wandering through the desert. It's gone on for 40 years. They've now reached the River Jordan. This is the crossing point. They're going to cross over. They're going to go into the promised land. Everything has happened. Excuse me. God mightily comes through for them, opens the Jordan River. They cross over the Jordan River. They are now on the ground of the promised land. And right there, God says, Stop the bus. Stop the bus. I have to clarify some things before we proceed. And so now they have crossed the river, and they are on the other side, and we're reading from Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. And when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived in, along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan so that the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear. So obviously these people who were living in the promised land saw what was going on and uh, they lost heart. And at that time the Lord told Joshua, use knives of flint to make the Israelites a circumcised people again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. Joshua had to circumcise them because All the men who were old enough to bear arms when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who had left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years of the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to bear arms when they left Egypt had died, for they had disobeyed the law, the Lord. And the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons who had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. And those who had grown up and those who had grown up to take their father's place. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery or the reproach of your slavery in Egypt. And so they called the place Gilgal. Verse 10. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover. You can go up to verse 13. Joshua 5.13, as Joshua approached the city of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man facing him with a sword in hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you a friend or a foe? Neither one, he replied, I am a commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the captain of the Lord of the hosts replied, take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. Now to me, they were set up for victory. The, the nations ahead of them were, had lost heart and they were fearful. The scripture says they were paralyzed with fear and they'd lost heart. 
I mean, if any military strategy had applied, it would be strike while the iron is hot. These people are fearful. God has done a great thing, moving and conquer them, but not God. He starts an elaborate, painful process at this critical juncture. And I often find, just before we get to that place where we're about to step in and start prevailing, it's like the wheels come off. All of a sudden, all this happens. But you see, God is busy preparing each one of us. And I have five things that God wants us, wants to prepare us. Five ways in which He wants to do that. Firstly, God wants to reestablish your relationship with Him. You see, what had happened was the Jewish nation had, as a sign of the covenant, the men had been circumcised. But you see, over time, they'd started to look like the rest of humanity. There was nothing different anymore. They had started to act like the rest of humanity, be like the rest of humanity, when they were God's chosen people. And God stops the whole lorry. And He says, I want you to reaffirm our covenant connection. And He proceeds to give an instruction that every male must be circumcised. Now, in the previous chapter, it says, among everybody, there were 40,000 battle-ready men. I tell you, it must have been quite a chamorse. But here, in the midst, on the, on the moment of victory, God says, uh-uh, where's, where's our covenant relationship? Where's the thing that makes you look different? Where's the thing that says you are marked and that you are my child? And so everybody has to be circumcised. And in a very real sense, we have to reaffirm our covenant relationship with God if we're going to prevail. You cannot look like everybody else looks. There's got to be something different about us as children of God. Something that identifies us. And people say... He's not like everybody else. She's different. Something's different. There must be a relationship with God. There must be a covenant relationship with God. And before we can prevail, God wants to reestablish that covenant. Secondly, before we can prevail, we have to reestablish the covenant relationship with our God. Secondly, we've got to put our trust in God all over again. You see, it was an interesting situation. Here now, all the men, including all the battle-ready men, are disabled. And God, through the circumcision, allows them to be vulnerable. If the enemy had only known at that moment that that army was not fit to fight, the enemy would have rushed in, but the enemy did not rush in. But they had no way of knowing that. They just had to trust God. Here they are. They've recommitted their lives. They've reestablished that covenant relationship with God. But now they're sitting ducks 
an open target, and they need to wait. And it says in verse 8, after all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. I tell you, that must have been scary. All the women are vulnerable. All the men are disabled and incapacitated. And the only thing they can do is trust God. And I'm telling you, before you prevail, God will bring you to a place where the only thing you can do is trust God. It might not be a pleasant experience, but before you prevail, it gets to that point where you have no alternative but to trust God. This nation had no alternative. I call it desperate dependence. They were desperately dependent on God to keep the enemy away until such a time as they were healed. And so secondly, put your trust in God all over again. Thirdly, get rid of the baggage. Get rid of the baggage. It says in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. In the NIV it says, today I have rolled away the reproach. And you know what we do often? We drag the past into the future. And we carry the past. They were saying, oh yeah, but we've been in slavery for 400 years. Oh yeah, we weren't treated fairly. Oh yeah, and they drag it with them. And the Lord says, today I've rolled that off. Now roll it off yourself. And the word Gilgal actually means to roll off like a stone. Roll it off. And we need to get rid of the baggage if we're going to prevail. We must live in the victory of today. And expect to prevail as we go forward. We can't take the hurt, the disappointment, the failure, the mistakes, the bad choices, the bitterness, the anger, the frustration. We can't take it with us. We have to let it go. That's point number three. Point number four. You need to begin to remind yourself of God's goodness in the past. It says in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, They celebrated Passover. What was Passover? Passover was a time when they put blood on the doors and on the lintels, and when the angel of death came over, they were spared. And so here, they celebrate Passover. What are they doing? They're reminding themselves, and they're remembering how God has been good in the past. And when you do that, you will find that you are encouraged and you are strengthened. And that's why we need to do it. We need to remind ourselves of God's goodness in the past. It reminds me of a scripture that means a lot to us as a family from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Remind yourself. Think a little bit. Take a moment and say, God, my, but you were good in those seasons. You really undertook in that circumstance. Remind yourself because it will give you the courage to prevail. And lastly, submit yourself to God's control. 
And in Joshua chapter 5, if you're still open there, verse 13, right through to verse 15, it says, As Joshua approached the city of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man facing him with a sword in the hand. Joshua went up to him and asked him, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I am commander of the Lord's army. And at that moment, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence, and he said, I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And I tell you, each one of us needs to get to that place where we are in humility saying, God, I'm at your command. What is it that you want me to do? And I believe those are five things that God wants to do in our lives or cause to happen in our lives to bring us to a place where we can prevail. And after that, the nation of Israel was able to go in and conquer the cities and Conquer the promised land. And so my question to you is, are you ready to prevail? I found a very interesting scripture. Don't turn there, I'll just read it. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 9, it says, It is not by strength that one prevails. Now the world would say, it is by strength. But here the word of the Lord says, it is not by strength that one prevails. And there is no human wisdom or understanding or counsel that can prevail against the Lord. And today, if, if you feel like you've never prevailed, or perhaps you once knew what it was to prevail, or perhaps you've just lost a bit of momentum today, I want to say to you, God wants you to prevail. And he has five steps. One, Re-establish your relationship with God. Covenant relationship. Put your trust in God all over again. Three, get rid of the baggage. Four, remind yourself of God's goodness in the past. And five, submit yourself to God's control. I think it's quite easy. I think it's something even I can do. And I believe each one of us need to be able to say, God, I want to be able to prevail, and I want to reaffirm these five things so that I can step into a season of prevailing in my life. If that's your desire, would you stand with me so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we declare we are your children. We are the sons and daughters of God and our desire is that we would prevail, overcome, win, walk in victory. And so today, Lord, we come to you and we just say, you are our God, we are your children. We are your child and we reconnect. We remind ourselves we have a covenant with the living God. We are not ordinary people. We have a covenant with you. Forgive us for becoming 
starting to look in every way like everybody else. We don't want to. We want to look like your children. And so we, we just say, Lord, we commit our lives to you again in this sacred moment. Secondly, Lord, we place our trust in you right now. Now consciously move from a place of doubt to a place of trusting. Like there's no alternative. Lord, I place my trust in you. I am weak. Life has incapacitated me. But boy, I place my trust in you. My own strength has run out. I'm trusting you. Thirdly, Lord, we get rid of the baggage. The reproach, the shame, the hurt, the disappointment, the history, the exhaustion, the tiredness. Ah. We are not from Egypt anymore. Fourthly, Lord, we remind ourselves of your goodness. And we declare, truly, you have been good to us. Our lives are living memorials to your gracious kindness, your mercy and your grace. Thank you, just as you have been good in the past, you will be good in the future. And right now, Lord, we humbly submit ourselves before you. We say, Heavenly Father, we want what you want. We declare we are at your command. You are the commander, and we submit ourselves to you. We are at your command. And what is it that you want us to do, Lord? What is it that you want us to change, Lord? We are ready. We are ready, Lord, because we know you want us to prevail. We know you want us to overcome, and this might not be the pattern that the world follows, Lord.